Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening this Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. Topics on today's episode include my interview with industry veteran Amy Ramsey, how rating agencies look at lenders, and continued volatility in the bond market. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. They're gaining groundswell for their dynamic, adaptive, and automated underwriting engine. Today, my dad heads off on a business trip to Georgia for a few days, which reminded him that yesterday's commentary had some state facts. Not sure how he would have forgotten so quickly, especially when people did take exception with Texas and West Virginia's lake trivia. Today, they can take exception with the latest state rankings from U.S. News analyzing how well states serve the residents in a variety of ways across eight categories, such as education, healthcare, and opportunity. Good news for Washington and Minnesota, not so much for Louisiana and Mississippi. Forgetting about states for a second, if you think housing inventory is low now, what with 70 plus million millennials looking for homes and housing starts running at 1.7 million per year, Zillow says just wait until the houses start flying off the shelf when the vaccine takes hold. MLO should rekindle friendships with real estate agents just in case. Speaking of which, here's my interview with Amy Ramsey, producing sales manager and certified mortgage banker with Atlantic Bay. Thank you very much for for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. That was quite the sultry voice you put on for us there. (laughs) So Amy, you're a producing sales manager. Can you tell Mm -hmm. listeners about your average day? Sure. You know, a producing sales manager really does wear several hats. Um, And the number one hat you wear actually is originating. So you are still responsible for your own book of business, um, making that happen, getting those loans in, you know, getting those to the closing table. The, The secondary hat really is you are building a team. So I'm also out there looking for people who might want to be on my team. Um, and then once they are on the team, I support them. And, and that really looks like, um, you know, particularly when someone is new and we're onboarding them, that's, you know, how do you get through the systems? You know, who do you reach out to? Those types of questions. But then as we sort of move forward, it really is bouncing. This is a complex situation. We've got self-employed borrowers and multiple properties, you know, how would you structure this? Can you look at this behind me? Um, and, and it really becomes that type of support. And I got to tell you, that's the part that really I love. My heart is really helping other people. Yeah. And I think that that really is the core of this business for a lot of people that work in it. We're, we're putting people in homes and it's, mm-hmm. it's arguably the biggest purchase they'll, they'll make in their entire life. So it's, it's something that, that feels good. You've been in the business for many years. We, we don't mm-hmm. have to mention how many on air. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> During your time in the origination <laughs> business, what, what's changed and, and what stayed the same? To your point, I have been around a long time. And I really sort of started this business, you know, back when it was very, it was a very manual process. And there were many steps that you had to go through. And we thought it was the most cumbersome thing that ever happened. You know, that, oh my God, you've got to get all of this documentation and send it in. And it was all paper. Fast forward to after 2008 and we have, you know, Dodd-Frank and we have all this regulation. Honestly, it is, it is a more 
time consuming. I, I don't want to say difficult because it's not, but people think that it's technology that is going to drive things and drive efficiencies and make things better. And I guess it has, but it really has not provided, I think, an originator, a lot of efficiencies. And, and you know what, Robbie, that is compared to the way it used to be. I mean, if you enter the business in 2010, it might, you know, you might see some, some shift there, but you know, I, I, there's a lot of regulation that, you know, is built into our systems that it kind of can slow you down some. Otherwise, I think just in terms of the consumer, consumer focus, it's so much better for the consumer than it than it really ever was. You mean that in terms of efficiencies throughout the process? You mean that in terms of price they're getting or service they're getting or what ways? Do you yeah, that's good. So, so certainly efficiencies, you know, definitely efficiencies throughout the system. But I think more importantly is the regulatory piece of it to help protect the consumer. Because let's face it, there were a lot of bad apples out there. There's some, some, you know, dark agents, if you would, that truly took advantage of borrowers. I mean, predatory lending is a name that was accurate. And that fortunately has, for the most part, gone away. Which, which is good because that flies completely in the face of what we just said about helping put people into homes. So. And that is exactly right. Speaking of borrowers and them benefiting, what's the mood like amongst borrowers currently? We've seen rates shoot up markedly here over the last month or two. How aware are your borrowers that rates have moved higher this year? I would say that there are two camps, if you would, two buckets, right? There's, There's that group of borrowers that are very savvy. They, they're watching the market. They kind of understand those things. And maybe they're working with um, an originator that is educating them on the process. So I, I think there's that group of people. And, and, and I don't feel like they are in any type of panic mode. Oh my gosh, I've got to get out there. I've got to do, I've got to do something now. I'm going to miss it. The rates ticking up, I think in, in a general sense, typically gets people off the fence. Oh, it was good. I was in the twos. I'm looking for a house. Yeah. Okay. Oh no. We're in the threes, the low threes. Now I better do something quickly. Uh, The difference is today we have an inventory shortage. So it's a little bit of a difference. It's, It's skewed somewhat. The other bucket obviously are the people that do not have a clue what's going on with the market. And all of us as originators would tell you that um, sometimes on any given day, the bane of our existence is the organization that is posting, you know, that you can get a 2% interest rate. And we field a lot of those phone calls of, no, actually, we don't have that. This is, this is reality. This is where we are. This is why rates may be. And then it just becomes an educational conversation. But probably, and, and again, I, you know, speaking just from my personal experience, I, I do spend a lot of time educating my referral partners as well as, as people that I'm working with. But I, I think there are still a lot of the general public that really don't know that rates have started to tick up and don't understand even where you would find that information. Yeah. And it's, it's always been, at least from a capital markets perspective, uh, something I've had to tell LOs, hey, just because the Fed is buying 30-year 1.5% coupons does not mean we mm-hmm. offer 30-year 1.5% rates. You know, there's a, there's a guarantee fee right. that the agencies charge as a servicing strip. There's, there's all these other things that go into it, which means that, that the rate is going to be much higher. That being said, 
what advice do you have for actual LOs dealing with first-time homebuyers? I cannot um, stress enough the educational aspect of of, of working with a first-time home buyer. First-time home buyer programs and products have changed so much. And they changed, definitely they changed, certainly I think during COVID. But even before then, the agencies, you know, took a step back and they they changed the income limits on first-time home buyer type programs. Some of that gap was filled in with our state, you know, the state housing and bond programs. But education, and I think that the number one thing you need to talk about is, is sure the process, but budget, budget. I mean, there are, there are people out there who are first time home buyers who are making a lot of money in, in the big scheme of things. They're, they're doing very well. They may carry a lot of debt with student loan debt, but they're making a lot of money. And I don't think they understand that just because you qualify for a certain amount that you should buy that particular purchase price and have that payment. I just think that's number one thing is just education. I talk to way too many borrowers who don't have any idea what the payment would be and and the and the cost associated with closing a loan. So a lot of times they get into this process and all of a sudden they sort of find out that hey, you know, it's going to cost you Ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars just you know to close this loan, and it's shocking. So I think education up front about the entire process, not sugarcoating it, being a consultant, being an advisor is is so important. Yeah, and I've had uh, a couple of friends on the show that are looking to buy houses, and I'll, I'll continue to bring on more friends that are looking to be first time homebuyers, and they say, "Oh, well, I can afford this mortgage payment." And I say, "Well, that mortgage payment doesn't include your taxes. It doesn't include mm-hmm. your insurance." And when I bought my first house, right after I closed, uh, I couldn't get a seller concession on on a water pipe out to the the street, and that cost me fifteen thousand dollars out of pocket right there. And it's like if I had just maxed through my budget, I would have been screwed. Mm-hmm. Right. I just think education is, is, I mean, it is what's important. And and loan officers can't be afraid of that. I think there are loan officers who say, well, I don't don't want to tell them too much. I don't want to scare them. Well, I mean, maybe a little. I don't know that it's you're scaring them. I think you're just helping them make informed choices. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good way to paint it. Because if you're you're scared to tell them something, you're not doing it the full diligence of your job in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on the the podcast. I think this was great and I think people will really enjoy listening to it. Thank you. I really um, appreciate the opportunity. It's, you know, we are in an incredible business during an incredible time. We are, we, you know, we've obviously been living history and um, I, I, for one, this business has been good to me. Uh, And so um, I'm pleased to still be here and thank you for having me. People in our business wonder how rating agencies look at lenders. I learned quite a bit by attending a Moody's webinar yesterday about how the process, which is simultaneously simple and complex, works. An assessment looks at the financial profile of the lender, revenue, cash flow, consistency, financing, its operational environment, such as competition, history, market stability, and its creditworthiness, based on company stability, the business profile, and growth potential. Residential lending itself has modest barriers to entry, but some technology can be very expensive as companies grow. Scale is important, as lenders know, but overall the industry's stability continues to increase, 
and uncertainty has decreased as odds of major Freddie and Fannie reforms lessen. For the links and full write-up on that, go to robchrisman.com. Yes, rates have slipped higher based on, one, the expectation of the pandemic winding down, and two, the blatant fact that someone, sometime, has to pay for the government stimuli. But think back for a bit on the fundamental economic news we've seen. Non-farm payrolls from both February and January's higher revised gain were well above the forecasted total. Not surprisingly, the gain was led by the service-providing sector, which has been the hardest hit over the last year's social mitigation restrictions. As these restrictions are lifted, and as the population regains comfort with patronizing businesses that involve close interpersonal interactions, this sector of the economy is likely to continue to see improvement. Looking at bonds yesterday, call it whiplash, call it volatility, call it whatever you want, but no big swings in treasuries, MBS, and rates are not welcome news for originators. Investors poured back into the market's riskiest assets, while treasuries rebounded from the selling that opened the week to see the yield curve flatten yesterday. The market did not receive any top-tier data, but the day's $58 billion three-year note sale was well-received. The NFIB Small Business Optimism Index rose slightly in February from January. Today should have a little more substance, with the release of the Consumer Price Index report for February, followed by a $38 billion 10-year note reopening. Today's economic calendar is already underway, and we've seen that mortgage applications decreased 1.3% from one week earlier for the week ending March 5th, according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's weekly mortgage application survey. Mortgage rates actually fell a couple basis points or remained flat during the reporting period, depending on who you ask, despite the 10-year yield continuing to rise. Maybe we are on the cusp of that big price war we've been hearing about for some time. February CPI and core CPI are about to be released, and later today brings the February budget deficit and reopening results from the $38 billion 10-year Treasury note auction. The House is also expected to take up the vote on the Senate's $1.9 trillion COVID bill. Today's MBS purchase schedule sees the desk in all three classes, starting with $1.5 billion of UMBS 15 1.5% and 2%, followed by $3.1 billion of UMBS 30 1.5% and 2%, and $1.9 billion Gini 2 2% and 2.5%, for a total of up to $6.4 billion. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse in eighth, and the 10-year yielding 1.56%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Fair warning, today's joke is a little PG. John O'Reilly hoisted his beer and said, Here's to spending the rest of me life between the legs of me wife. That won him the top prize at the pub for the best toast of the night. He went home and told his wife, Mary, I won the prize for the best toast of the night. She said, Aye, did ye now? And what was your toast? John, thinking quickly, replied, Here's to spending the rest of me life, sitting in church beside me wife. Oh, that is very nice indeed, John, Mary purred. The next day, Mary ran into one of John's drinking buddies on the street corner. The man chuckled leeringly and said, John won the prize the other night at the pub with a toast about you, Mary. She said, Aye, he told me, and I was a bit surprised myself. You know, he's only been in there twice in the last four years. Once I had to pull him by the ears to get him there, and the other time he fell asleep. <laughs> Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Christman sent you. 
If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.